1: the president and CEO of New Orleans and Company, the destination marketing organization that promotes the city to potential visitors. Among the topics covered, the fate of New Orleans restaurants and hotels, how long it'll be before the city reaches 2019 levels of income, and how the meeting business will change forever. Now, here's the podcast. First of all, thanks for being here and talking.
0: It's a pleasure to um, be with you, Rich. All right.
1: In 2019, New Orleans welcomed 19.75 million visitors. You spent... A little over ten billion dollars. What are the metrics for 2020 going to be?
0: Well, believe it or not, it's still too early to define it very accurately. We know that for the first quarter, at least up until the midpoint of the third month, the middle of March, uh, we were having a tremendous year. Uh, the last nine months of this year are going to be extraordinarily difficult. You're looking at um, you're looking at a a fall off that's so extraordinary, I'll give you an example of, of what we're losing a week. As we began the first three months of COVID, we were losing around 210 to $215 million a week in visitor spend. Now, that's across all platforms. That includes uh, airlines, all transportation, hotels, retail, restaurants, uh, nightclubs, bars, music venues, and cultural attractions. But it's an extraordinary amount of money to take out of a city this small. And right now, you know, we're estimating we may be doing, um, you know, obviously doing a little better than at the beginning of the pandemic, but we're still losing probably $190 million a week. Hotels are projecting at the end of the year um, maybe being in the 25 to 30 percent of annual revenue uh, level, but that's only because the first two and a half months of the year were very strong. You know, during the month of August, uh, you know we're, we were looking at about 10 percent, and that 10 percent is only among the 58 percent of hotels that were even open. So it's it is going to be extremely difficult. Hotels are going to survive. There may be some that are sold, particularly smaller properties. The larger ones are obviously better capitalized. But hotels, as a general rule, are significantly better capitalized than the other critical sector of our uh, hospitality economy, which is restaurants. And, you know, restaurants range from all of those iconic restaurants downtown in the French Quarter warehouse district that, um, you know, depend anywhere from 65 to 85 percent of their revenue from visitors. So, obviously, they are under extreme duress. Uh, we think uh, the Stan Harris of the Louisiana Restaurant Association and I have both predicted that uh, there is a possibility that we could lose anywhere from thirty to forty percent, and maybe even more, depending on how long it is of, of our restaurants. Those most able to survive are going to be um, the neighborhood restaurants, and we hope if we can get the city open again, that'll be the case with neighborhood bars. The downtown, which is so so dependent upon the visitors, it, it rich. It's it's. Um, it's extremely. It's 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 going to be extremely difficult. Um, a couple of reasons for that. Number one, not you know what happens with COVID is that with the restrictions that are in place, uh, the convention and meeting business, uh, which formed the highest value component of the tourism uh, industry, is wiped out for the entirety of 2020. You know, we're we're hopeful this fall. Maybe we can get back to some smaller meetings in house at some of the hotels. We're working to partner with them, but all of our major convention business uh, is have they've been they've been canceled, and we're already seeing a degradation of um, a degradation of the first quarter. So. This is uh, – it's extraordinarily difficult. You know, tourism is sort of a, an, an interesting love-hate thing in New Orleans. You know, it's the subject of an awful lot of discussion. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the city's operating budget, city of New Orleans operating budget, really has three categories of revenue. One is sales tax. One is property tax and the other is self-generated uh, revenue through fees, charges, assessments, etc and some federal and other state funding matches. Well, the problem is that in New Orleans, visitors, our tourists who come in from all over the world pay 43% of the sales tax. That's a devastating devastating impact on the city's operating budget, and you've heard estimates from the city and the CAO that already we are looking at $140 million deficit just on that alone out of the $700 million uh, annual city budget. What is really undetermined at this point with the health of properties Um, And the assessor is working with properties right now. I'm talking about restaurants and hotels because of the way that they evaluate their property. We don't know how many assets are going to continue. So, uh, you know, this is new, new, New Orleans is at a critical moment and its largest industry is a critical moment. And unfortunately, our, not only is the vast majority of the small business community of New Orleans imperiled, but risk the thing we forget about is we've still got 40 to 50,000 of our neighbors and colleagues and friends who are not able to get back to work yet because the tourism economy is in a temporary hibernation status.
1: I read today. That New, uh, Louisiana
0: has the worst
1: unemployment recovery rate of any state, and is is this why? Is it is it essentially the New Orleans tourism well, it, that's causing it,
0: that? Yes, it's 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 based on two reasons. One, the New Orleans tourism industry is now the largest industry in the southern part of the state, and in New Orleans. But it's also unfortunately, in conjunction with uh, the economic demise of the oil and gas industry. So what had traditionally been our two most powerful economic sectors are under extreme duress right now and And it's not just the core elements of the industry, but all of the ancillary uh, industries, businesses, services, and employees that uh, that's that serve those two industries. so, Yes, this is this is why we're going to be doing a lot of work in the special session upcoming, because this is going to have an effect throughout the state and in New Orleans' role. Um, remember, Rich, we do a billion dollars nearly a year in international travel that comes through New Orleans and then spreads out throughout the state of Louisiana, North Shore, uh, up the river, uh, Acadiana, and so forth. So. Yes, it is. Uh, we 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 are looking at some extraordinarily difficult times in managing governmental and municipal budgets, budgets, and a very difficult time in getting, um, in in in, in getting our friends and neighbors back to work.
1: Is there precedent? Have we seen anything like this before?
0: Never. You know, I'm I'm often asked, uh, Rich, if You know, how does this compare to Katrina? Is it as bad as Katrina was to us? You know, the reality, Rich, I try to explain it this way. After Katrina, we were broken. The city of New Orleans was broken for a while. And we had a lot to work on to fix back up, which we did. The world was good, but we were down. The problem is now the city of New Orleans is in great shape with wonderful new assets, but the world is broken. And that's made it extraordinarily difficult because the things that are broken are not things that we can fix. And so, in terms of the depth of unemployment, the depth of peril to small businesses, uh, the long term peril to the city's uh, finances, the fact that we have not gotten the kind of federal funding we need to keep all of us going. Uh, and in our particular case, you know, there's been no federal funding. Uh, they completely eliminated chambers of commerce and economic driver organizations and DMOs destination marketing organizations of which we're one of the nation's best. And they, Rich, they left us out and they also left out, the America uh, – the, the, the zoos and aquariums of America, which has been really difficult. So this is going Wait, to be a what, long process. What is that? What was well, the last in here? all of the federal funding, in all of the federal funding, like, for example, PPP and other CARES Act funding, destination yes. marketing organizations were excluded. Chambers of Commerce were excluded. Um, GNO Inc. type organizations were excluded. And also, they excluded the nation's largest and most prominent zoos and aquariums. It's oh, a, zoos it and it aquariums, absolutely. Yes, zoos and aquariums. It's it's a it was a heinous public policy decision. Um, they just didn't take the time to differentiate the type of five hundred one c six corporations that were um, that were eligible, and as a result, the primary drivers of Hundreds of, excuse me, hundreds of billions of dollars in the American travel industry, which are the DMOs, are in dire financial trouble. And in our case, the Audubon Zoo is literally a few weeks away from making it. And, And that is absolutely staggering to me that we have been, to this degree, utterly failed by our congressional delegations. And thus far, by the legislature, and we're hopeful that the legislature now is understanding, you know, these, these impacts because of the impact we have on the state's fisc. It's in the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars comes directly from New Orleans tourism. But, you know, where it's the other thing people forget about, the single two most expensive assets the state of Louisiana owns are the Superdome and the convention center, and they are the largest economic drivers in this part of the state. And their revenue that's self-generated in part and comes from hotel taxes and it and the largest part, which pays their debt service and operating costs, without us functional, it puts another gigantic burden on the state that would have to come from the state general fund. So we're really hopeful that we're going to be able to get this message across. Um, you know, back after Katrina, the difference was we got $28 million for tourism marketing and promotion through federal CDBG grants, uh, thanks to Senator Landrew and working with Lieutenant Governor Landrew at that point. And I was able to go to the legislature and the commissioner of administration at that time, Um, under Governor Blanco, Jerry Luke LeBlanc, and they provided us with a five, I'm talking about the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau, now New Orleans and Company. They provided us with a $5 million direct line appropriation. The combination of those dollars, uh, which were divided between NOTMC, the Tourism Marketing Corporation, which no longer exists and is a part of us now, but we had we had the equivalent for driving the recovery of our industry somewhere in the range of twenty three million dollars. And we don't have that now, not a single dollar. And so we are um, we're very concerned. We're very concerned about the future of our cultural attractions, of our restaurant industry. We're extremely concerned right now, rich. About all of the sole proprietors, the small companies uh, that work with musicians and talent, uh, those that give the amazing tours, uh, the transportation companies, the bus companies, all of them are dependent upon this multi billion dollar, $10.6 billion dollar uh, tourism industry. And right now, none of those are being provided for, and even though for our restaurants and and some businesses, the PPP really helped, that's run out now, and the only well, thing is, that's going to save us is if visitors come back.
1: So is the problem that, like you said, the world is broken this time, so it was easier to get some millions in federal money to help after Katrina, but right now, there's, everyone needs help, and everyone's asking, and you guys have not been able to be heard? Is that more or less what's happened?
0: Well, basically that. And, in fact, it's been easier to get money into in this, except for us, than it ever has been. I mean, Congress has appropriated nearly $2 trillion thus far. And we had another major – we thought we had our issue resolved for us and the zoos. Uh, resolved in this next round. But of course, there's complete political impasse in Washington. And as a result, there's not going to be a bill passed prior to the election. And so it keeps us in a, in a, in a truly difficult, you know, difficult position. And, and we're going to lose a lot of companies in New Orleans. And we're going to lose a lot of permanent employment uh, here. Because, Rich, when people ask, how long is this going to last? You know, we were hopeful at the beginning. It was just a couple of months. But the reality is we're projecting a return to normalcy if you look at hotels and restaurants. We're looking at a return to normalcy in the spring of 2024. That's a long way away.
1: So you're hoping to get to 2019 numbers in 2024?
0: That is correct. That's exactly right. We're, we're going to see an incremental gain. The things that we need the most right now are some additional stability for our businesses to hang on, monies to drive, the catalytic – I'm talking about things like the next round of PPP.
1: Uh, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. Federal for help.
0: Workers. Yeah, federal help, support for workers. Uh, there is state money for um, – small businesses, but they constructed it uh, poorly. Uh, $300 million was set aside, and only $25 million of that has been awarded. See, if we were able to get 10 to $20 million, um, the difference is instead of $5,000 going to an individual company that has a minimal impact, we're able to affect thousands of businesses and tens of thousands of workers. So I'm, I'm hoping the leadership in the House and Senate and, and uh, you know, that we'll be able to, to make that case locally, federally. We need more PPP dollars to be appropriated to keep our businesses solvent. We need to have additional help for those who are structurally now unemployed because it's going to take the industry a while to come back. Because in America, you've got over 15 million 15 million hospitality workers. And, of course, it's a tremendous number of our friends and neighbors here in New Orleans. So we need that. And the other is that we're going to need we, – we need these marketing dollars. And it's going to require the state and the federal government to do that for us. And in the state's case, most of the money they're coming up with are actually Federal CARES Act dollars. And, Rich, the good thing is Secretary Mnuchin uh, of Treasury has already promulgated a, a rule – that allows the use of CARES Act dollars for tour, tourism marketing and promotion, and in fact, uh, eight or nine states have already acted and provided it to their counterparts to us. So we're hopeful that that's um, that's in the near the near term horizon.
1: Wait, do you mean that some of the money that the states already gotten has already there's precedent that it's already gone to organizations like you?
0: Just not here in Louisiana. Yes, in other states. In, uh, in other states. Got gotcha. We so had that in the appropriations. Yeah, we had it in the appropriations bill this year, and it was taken out in the conference committee report, which was very unfortunate so is, for. Yeah,
1: that's a conversation between you and the what the legislature. That's that's you versus Baton Rouge.
0: Yes, yes. So we we've already begun those conversations, and hopefully, you know, that will recur. Um, but we also we also have significant through our national organizations, U.S. Travel, on whose board I serve. You know, we we have our, our lobbying came nationally and uh, with the National Restaurant Association and others that work very hard to have components of the next federal uh, legislation allocated directly to driving this uh, huge hospitality and tourism industry in America. So we are. We we were very hopeful. Right now, we know that at least from now till the election, we're we're dead in the water.
1: So, is this an accurate summary? <laughs> Thinking about you, what what's your list of to dos one is you and all of your you know peers around the country are lobbying at the federal level for help for DMOs and zoos, aquariums, et cetera, all the people that were excluded. Meanwhile, you're also advocating in Baton Rouge for some of the money Louisiana has already received that some of that 1.8 to be able to be used for things like marketing. And then meanwhile, you're also, you know, you've had some public skirmishes here in New Orleans over the, over the year. You're, you're advocating for a safe reopening as, as urgently as it could happen. Are those kind of the the three fronts of, of the battle that you're, you're currently in?
0: Rich, you said it beautifully. You know, I, I think we're, we're very proud here in New Orleans on the front regarding reopening that, um, that the COVID numbers in New Orleans are, in fact, among the best in the state. And uh, it is so important for us to begin uh, gaining traction in getting reopened. Um, reopening alone does not solve all the problems. We also need visitors. So it's going to be, we have to figure out a safe and appropriate way to expand the ability of our restaurants to operate, to not do silly things like have regulations that you can't separate people at a restaurant's bar like you would see at Bourbon House or at Gianna or at Fashion, you know, that you could serve couples there to. To give the ability for, you know, to do it safely and to space out just like they are in the restaurant. Um, we are going to have to have to figure a way to incrementally open our bars. You know, maybe, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the expert in this, but but it seems to me that a reasonable approach would be to begin to open some of the neighborhood bars and to have very strict standards. Um, we have to figure, and and then we'll get to the French Quarter and larger crowds, as um, you know, as time unfolds. But the French Quarter right now is in, it is in true peril. So many of the businesses, retail, um, bars, music clubs, uh, it's 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 extremely difficult, and. I want everyone to understand that, it, that it's going to take both. It's going to take the safe reopening of business combined with our ability to gradually bring visitors, primarily in a regional drive radius, back to New Orleans to spend their capital here so it begins to support our workers and our small businesses and um, – you know, I'm, we're optimistic. We hear the mayor is looking at modifications of how to move forward, but um, you know, it's very different when you go to Jefferson Parish or you go to Baton Rouge. Restaurants seem normal, you know, bars are opening. Um and yet some of their numbers are not as good as ours. So there's, there's yeah, not confusing
1: it's hard because when you, obviously business owners and then advocates have to argue for the industry to return and recover, and then governors and mayors have to have to keep keep public safety and policy in mind. And so there's this 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 unresolvable tension almost. Um I wonder,
0: if, uh, no, Rich. You know, you just, just hits the key point right there. There there's a there will always be a constant tension, but I, but you know. We have adopted in hotels in restaurants some of the safest protocols. It is safer now, I think, to visit a restaurant and eat than ever, and certainly to stay in our hotels. So we think we have the ability to do it. The problem is that we, you know, around the country, you have discussions where mayors reach out to industry leaders and try to figure out how do we safely get back open? Unfortunately, here, we don't have that dialogue. It's all done entirely within the mayor's office, and we have very little ability to communicate with that.
1: Yeah, I was reading over just the, from summaries from a few months ago about when you, were, you and the mayor had a kind of a public feud, and that seemed to be your main complaint is that you guys were left out of the conversation. Is that still
0: what, how you feel? Well, it doesn't – you know, it doesn't make sense not to involve the top leaders of your largest industry who want to partner with you, who want to create a safe work environment. Um, And it's just, you know, as you know from the first time um, from when the mayor ran and to her first year in office, there's been considerable tension between the mayor and our industry because there does not seem to be a lot of respect for our industry. Our appreciation for the fact that it funds the largest portion of the city budget, and and it's uh, you know we're hopeful that uh, those tensions will will melt away at some point. We don't see evidence of that yet, but we are certainly open to be good partners to try to figure out how to do it, because we have to do it safely, Rich. Other, otherwise, right. it just backfires on you. It has to be done safely. Right. Hey sir, so look,
1: I have a I had a couple of specific questions and uh, you were speaking uh, at length and eloquently about some stuff, so uh, can I, could I just uh, let me throw out some quick questions for you if that's all right? Sure. Uh, one sure. one was uh so what what are hotel occupancy numbers now? Are we still in high single digits Have we cracked into the teens?
0: Yeah, it really depends on the days of the week. You know, on the weekdays, uh, there is very very little occupancy. We've only got about sixty percent of our rooms open right now, which is uh, difficult. Uh, there are a lot of smaller boutique properties that uh, have not made a decision to reopen because of the cost. Uh, right now you will see if if we take uh, our hosting of the evacuees out of the equation you're you're looking at our our hotels. Um, The hotels that you traditionally associate with, you know, tourists visiting New Orleans, uh, of us being between 20% to 30% occupancy on the weekend, um, that's that's the aspirational goal. But with the evacuees in town, of course, taking up a lot of the rooms in 36 of the hotels, we're not reaching that. I think you're looking at uh, in terms of revenue this year that by the end of the year we might be roughly at 30% of hotel revenue. But you've got to realize that's only that's only because the first two and a half months of the year were strong and much bigger than year over year in '19. Right now you're looking at an occupancy figure if you were to project for. Uh, non-evacuee, you'd be looking in that 10-11% range right now, on an That's average. You. That's you. And
1: I remember at there was the the beginning of the year there was that meeting downtown where you I remember you you gave a talk and you projected you were saying that the, the city base had been on a 10-year run of you know, improving each year I think except for maybe one year, but that you thought there were signs that this year might be a little flatter. Um, but then, of course, you or no one had any idea what was what was in store.
0: No, we were expecting it to be a little flatter early in the year, but then, as it turned out, we were able in the early part of the spring and to, uh, to get some things booked into the fall, where we had citywide conventions from the first of October to the third week of December. It was going to be it was going to end up being one of the most robust falls in our history, and of course. Um, the forces of forces of nature uh, had a, had different plans.
1: All right. Well, let me let me hit you with a follow up on that. So, meetings uh, is you said by twenty twenty four, maybe it'll be back to twenty nineteen numbers overall. You know, the New Orleans tourism dollars and, and visitor dollars. But there's a lot of talk about the meetings industry just changing fundamentally. And and I mean, do you think that are you and, and other all your colleagues in other cities? Are people planning for um, adjusting the, the amount of work, travel, and work meetings that are going to be happening? Is it going to just be less?
0: Well, we're already in the process of doing that. It is absolutely inevitable, and if you don't recognize that, you're going to to make a serious error in in planning. We're we're. We're, we're talking every week with scores of meeting planners of various size organizations, global meeting planners from, from big national and international corporations, the nation's largest associations. And all of them and all of us I and my peers and all of our teams are exploring new and different ways to meet. Obviously, safety protocols the next few years are going to be uh, of the highest importance. We anticipate, for example, this year, the development of what we call hybrid meetings, where there will be part virtual, uh, part in-person. You might have fewer exhibitors. You might have, you will almost certainly, at least in the next year, have fewer attendees. And I think what we're seeing is that there. Well, what we don't know the exact uh, outcome of is the way that meetings and conventions are going to evolve because it may be that you move to more virtual um, on some of the smaller meetings or certainly have uh, virtual components even to the larger meetings. So I, th- I think, you know, when I say that, that it will be the spring of 24 until we're back to normal, That that is in range of rates, uh, hotel occupancy, meetings with attendants i think we're looking at a you know the pandemic is not just between now and a vaccine even after the vaccine comes you know we're seeing uh, numbers in american polling that show that 20 to 25 percent of americans may not even take the vaccine so there are going to be a lot of elements uh, i think that are going to change one of the biggest financial decisions and one of the most important in terms of strategically long-term for us is uh, with the convention center renovations. We have a half-billion-dollar master plan ongoing, and uh, Mike Sawaya, their president general manager, and I have been uh, in discussions with our teams now for several months. We have an unprecedented opportunity. The American meeting industry is changing, and it's changing and evolving with new technologies and new layouts right at the moment that we're going through a new capital Uh, In uh, master plan. That's the best thing that could have happened for us because what we're in the process of doing is working with our architects and designers and working with charrette groups and with our meeting planner customers to identify the changes, the things that will be a part of this new evolution of the American meetings industry. And we're going to be building that into our hotel. So I think over the next year or two, you're going to be seeing some very exciting things coming from the center as we modernize into a future that, in in our opinion, is absolutely going to be inevitable.
1: So, is your thought that the the spending on the convention center is more essential now than it would have been before all this happens? So, full speed ahead. It's
0: even more essential. Yes, it it is even more essential. You know, we have a wonderful center, but the reality was we were already 10 or 15 years behind most of our competitive set. Um, Our center was outdated. Uh, Look, it was a it was a grand old box and it had a lot of great features and we were still able to book, you know, an amazing level of business in. But our competitors were starting to get the edge on us. And in business, if you stand still, you lose. And so we knew it needed a massive overhaul in renovations. The difference is now we're doing some fundamental rethinking. We're not only going to be doing these tremendous renovations and bringing in new light and, and doing the things we're doing on Convention Center Boulevard, But uh, the utilization of additional outdoor space, the way that meeting rooms will break out, the way that technology will be utilized, um, these are the kinds of things that I think we are incredibly fortunate in some ways that we had delayed a couple of years in getting the center renovation started. Now that it's occurring at this time, we're going to be able to involve the best thinking in America from our customers. Along with our designers, as we create what we hope will be one of the top two or three centers in terms of new capacity in the country. Let, let me let me
1: bring up two uh, counter arguments. So let, let me get your reactions to it. One that I've heard over the last you know year or two was that uh, cities around the country had have, have been following the "if you build it, they will come" mantra with the convention centers, but in a lot of cases it hasn't, hasn't paid off the way they'd hoped. Uh, what's your thought about
0: that? Well, I don't know many places where having convention centers has not paid off. You know, the reality is that this is the highest value component of the American tourism and hospitality industry in New Orleans. It's changed the face of who we are as a city. I mean, this is – you realize that my company has more fi- Fortune 500 customers than GNO Inc., than the Louisiana Department of Economic Development. We see more of their leaders. We connect with more of them. We make New Orleans a business mecca because we are still uh, one of the top six or seven meeting destinations in America what What has happened? you know you know why there was a prolif- proliferation of all of these convention center expansion? It's because of us, because we're one of, you know we're a small city, you know, three hundred and ninety thousand people, yet one of the top six or so convention centers in North America. Well, the idea was that others would build centers and replicate what New Orleans has done, but the difference is, all of those don't have the appeal of New Orleans as a destination. You know, the fact right. that we're a world-class entertainment destination, world-class food, that has made the difference. And fortunately, uh, as we're adjusting, which, what you're going to see is that this huge value component of us driving business and being a, a center for business growth, it's it's going to continue. <laughs>
1: You mentioned you were top six or seven. Who who are the who are your primary competitors?
0: So the biggest competitors for us are Las Vegas, Orlando, Atlanta, Chicago, Nashville, and San Francisco and San Diego. Now, okay. when you look at those, though, San Francisco is in extremely difficult time right now. Um, they, their uh, CBB equivalent San Francisco travel is laid off twice the number of people we have. Uh, the city you know, is also fighting uh, the, the fires issues there. Um, they have had problems with downtown homeless that have really affected them. A uh, number of their meetings have actually moved to us, but they're going to keep they're going to keep a strong meeting and convention segment because they are, the meeting place for Silicon Valley. So right, they're going right. to be good. Uh, San Diego, which is a wonderful city, has expanded their center. But the biggest growing, the new, if you were to ask if there was a new New Orleans on the horizon, it would clearly be Nashville. So Nashville and New Orleans um, both compete for a lot of the same business. We have a little more capacity than they do, not quite as much, though, as Atlanta. But we're a more desirable destination than than Atlanta. We have other things to offer. Atlanta has greater airlift, obviously, is one of the world's biggest airports. So everybody has something a little bit different. But when you were to say, who do we fight the most, you would say Atlanta, Nashville, Orlando, Chicago, and Las Vegas.
1: I like how in your answer you you kind of threw a little shade on San Francisco. You you did a little sales pitch for New Orleans there.
0: Well, no, you know, San Francisco is <laughs> one of my two or three favorite places in the country. You know, the problem okay. is they're a good example of what happens if you don't maintain your downtown in relation to crime and the homeless. It's it's, it's, it's it's had a terrible impact on them. And one of my best friends in the business is my counterpart there. And, and you know, he I think he's doing tremendous work, but they've got They've got some real challenges right now.
1: Well, it seems like, as you talked about the city, it seems like a cautionary tale for the for the problems for our country in microcosm in the sense of incredible wealth, massive amount of technology, tech industry. Then you've got, you know, nobody can afford to live there. You've got a homeless population. You've got the fires. It's, it's sort of like the whole American story in one city.
0: Um, I, it one, is one other terrible thing, for them.
1: Yeah. Uh, one other thing, and then I want to ask you uh, – Something about what you just said, but the other criticism I heard about uh, about you know spending money on the convention center right now in this time of all times is that maybe that money would be better spent helping all of the um, unemployed hospitality workers. Uh, talk to me about that. What's your what's your philosophy there about spending money spending more money on the convention center
0: in, in this time? In this you country. mean about the you mean about the union argument. Because that, that that's a that that was a recruiting piece launched by union organizers here. Of course, you don't gotcha. have specialty taxes that are used to lay the groundwork for 10 and 20 years for hiring thousands of people, preserving their jobs. You don't suddenly take those away and reallocate those in lieu of state and federal government unemployment compensation. That. That absolutely makes no sense. What that what that would be like would be, would be if you were to say, all right, let's uh, let's shift money from. I mean, why shouldn't we shift it from banks? Why should it be just the convention center? Why shouldn't we shift it from law firms? Why shouldn't we shift it from real estate? I mean, what what the dollars that are allocated to the center by taxes on our customers are to provide the competitive foundation to have tens of thousands of people at work for another couple of decades. And, and if you were to do what the unions had proposed, and they, of course, you know, the unions are not known for making the best strategic business decisions. If, if you were to have done it in that way, what you would have done was, would have cost all of those – you would have helped people out for six months, and you would have cost them their jobs for the next 10, 15 years. So it absolutely made no intellectual, economic, or human sense. Does the argument that our workers need more dollars make sense? Oh, my gosh, yes, it does. I mean, there is no question but that gig workers, hospitality workers of, of – uh, across all platforms, needed more federal help. We still need more federal help. And because the pandemic uh, timeframe has extended, we need the federal government to help our employees. And so we're hopeful that 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 will be the case in the next round. It's just, unfortunately, political gridlock in Washington has ended up crushing small business people and crushing our workforce here. Right. A
1: um, couple of specific questions. You mentioned earlier that you think we will lose, I think you said, was it 30% of restaurants? Did you say 30%? Well,
0: there, there's, there's a very good possibility of that. We've, we've already, as you know, have lost a number of of great names. Um, the problem is this. The restaurants that have done well that have a little bit of capital, they are going to be able to keep going a little while longer. But the run rate on their capital is so fast that if we don't come up with additional help for them and additional help for us to drive them customers, the peril that restaurants are in could be something that changes the, the face of New Orleans and its reputation. And right. we are deeply worried. And it also affects the employees because there won't be other places to which they can go.
1: Right. So I think what we – over the last 10 years since – well, 15, 10 years. Since Katrina, we've the number of restaurants has grown to what? It was about 1,400 restaurants maybe.
0: Um, yeah, it's grown tremendously.
1: So you would say most likely we will say a year from now. You think we'll be back under a thousand? Is that a reasonable supposition?
0: I just don't think there's any question about that, Rich, and that's what's that's what worries all of us. I talk to so many of them every day, and they have they are so creative and so nimble, and restaurants have pivoted beautifully to deal with takeout, pickup. Um, uh, catering. I mean, they're they're doing everything that they can. Um, you know, restaurants live on single-digit margins for the most part, anyway. And when you talk about running at fifty percent capacity, I mean, they can't. That's not sustainable. Right. And so, um, what what is happening is, I think, some of the smaller restaurants that are in the neighborhoods because they get a lot of neighborhood business, they have a better chance of making it. But it's still going to be uh I tell you the, the jury is still out on what the overall damage is going to be, but it is it's it still remains that the single economic sector in America that is the most damaged by the pandemic Is the tourism, meetings, leisure, restaurant, hospitality sector, right?
1: So I'm going to kind of just ask you one or two more questions and try and steer it towards some positive stuff. But uh, uh, getting into that territory, uh, we talked about meetings, uh, but as I'm thinking about the recovery, what what are the other sort of you know um, legs of the of New Orleans tourism? Is it festivals, sports? Cruises, what else? What, what are the other major? Besides Absolutely. Games, so, things?
0: you know, we expect – well, we, we expect our very important cruise industry uh, to be coming back sometime uh, from November on. We think the bulk of it is going to be in 21. Uh, from a sports uh, – from the sports category, you know, we've got a semifinal game for uh, – American for college football playoffs, uh, the Sugar Bowl. We don't know yet what the rules are going to be. And and so you can see from the mayor's reaction, the mayor has um, differed from the governor, where the governor is allowing 25% attendance at, at, at games. Uh, the mayor has stepped up and blocked fans from attending Saints games. Um, I'll be at LSU this weekend. We'll have around 26,000 fans in the stadium at LSU. Um, There will be no fans in the stands for the Saints-Green Bay game. I don't know how they can keep doing it. We're smarter than that. There is a smarter way to incrementally build and allow people to go in making mass mandatory. You know, at LSU, we have to actually fill out a questionnaire and get a CDC clearance stamp that it's viewable as you enter and have your ticket um, um, digitally read. There are no paper tickets at LSU. They're all on your iPhone in your wallet. Um, There are no cash. There's no cash at concession stands. They allow you to bring in up to a 1.5 liter bottle, and you have fans spread out throughout the throughout, um, the stadium. And so I think it is going to be safe, and we're smart enough to figure out how to do that safely in our stadium, just like they did in Kansas City in the original game with the Texans that opened the NFL stadium. But we'll see. You know, what do they uh, do? That to is the a- important. I hadn't talked. I'd
1: talked to some new people and some Saints people a while back, and that's when they were still hopeful. And then obviously it started off the first two games with no fans. But the, the people that are doing it, like the Chiefs, how do they do the logistics with you know, say you've got X thousand season ticket holders? I mean, how how, how do you how do they figure out which ones get to come? I mean, I assume we have more well, the, ticket holders. The, that- the
0: first thing you do, and I'll, and I'll use LSU as a model. The first thing you do is ask which of your season ticket holders. Are uh, would like to keep their ticket, oh, right. but roll their payments for this year to next year. In LSU's case, it was 65 70 percent of the stadium, you know, rolled over to the next year. Um, and what you need is common sense. Those who are older should make the wise decision not to go. Those. Um, if, if we had uh, absolutely strictly enforced with the CDC questionnaires, if we use ticketless non-touch entry, if we use, uh, you know, very limited touch uh, in the concessions area, if you truly spread them, you could make that work. And, and in fact, what you could do is you don't have to start at 25%. Some of the NFL teams have started at a lower level. Start with what's comfortable. Um, it is, it, it's just, you know, what's hard in Louisiana is that in terms of emergency law and management and health, the governor is governor of 63 parishes and the mayor controls the remaining parish. And that creates a disjointed uh, approach to public health because. You know Jeffersonians are proud to live in Jefferson, but Jefferson's part of New Orleans. they come to we live there they come to work here we shop there it, it just makes no sense to be under completely different uh completely different guidelines i I think we need to have unified guidelines i'm I'm sorry that we don't but in response in, to in your the, last question you know about yeah. go ahead no
1: this is in defense. Of- Mayor and the Saints and everybody, I mean, I think the majority of teams had no fans in the first couple of games. So, I mean, we're, we're not
0: outliers in that. Well, they well they did. No, that's exactly right, because some of them were in hot spots far greater than New Orleans. You know, certainly in Los Angeles and in some of the Californians, in, in uh, Boston, in New York, you know, they were in much more difficult situations than were we. But it's – you know, it – what I think is that we have – if we can get the buy-in of the American people to act responsibly, I think there are thoughtful, rational ways to protect the public health and to begin gradually and incrementally regaining access to portions of our lives. And that allows business to come back, and that allows people to normalize. And I and I think a true balance between both is what you always have to do. All
1: right, right. Um, I Sort of got lost track of where I was. So we, were talking, we were talking about the other the other sort of basic uh, the, the legs of the table. The Platform. So, yeah. Yeah. That, meetings,
0: festival. So well, what about festivals? What, what what's going to Well, happen? that was what, where is? I was going to go because so <laughs> to to give you an idea. We we have uh, we are a little bit seasonal here because summer is traditionally for visitors a time they go to beaches, you know, and uh, family vacations. And, and uh, it's a little bit slower here, particularly in August and early September, and part of that is because of our storm history as well. But the reality is we make a lot of money in the spring, and that really begins in late winter with Mardi Gras. And it goes through, you know, French Quarter Festival and Jazz and Heritage Festival and all the myriad festivals one after another, you know, all over the city and the region as we celebrate. We like to celebrate everything, right, Rich? You know, whether it's Creole, tomato, (laughs) or oysters, or you name it, po'boys, blues, barbecue, fried chicken, we love it. But here's the problem. We don't know what that's going to be like for the spring yet. April is our gigantic money maker month, both with conventions, leisure travelers, fairs and festivals. We don't know yet what's going to happen with Mardi Gras, with the mayor. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, and partly because of Jefferson's interest, but I'm partly optimistic that that we can that we have the brain power to create a modified. And safe Mardi Gras that has restrictions, and that is certainly downsized, you know, in comparison to the past. But there has to be a way to get there, and I and I and I think certainly that's the case with fairs and festivals. We've already looked at in Europe at a number of models where they have used segmented systems for crowds in outdoor settings. So we're looking at those. Um, but anyway only time will tell rich at the end of the day you know what we really do need is we need the vaccine and we need americans to embrace it we need it to be safe we need it to work and i know it's going to take quite a while to get the more than 300 million americans vaccinated and those who visit from other places but we need this and um You know, so projecting next year, we just don't know. We know that people are likely to remain cautious throughout the year, and we are buckling down not only for what has been a catastrophic 2020, but we're looking at a weakened 2021, and we're hoping once we get the vaccine and get American acceptance of it, that uh, we'll be in good shape to really begin rebuilding by next fall and into the spring of twenty two. And remember, 2022 is the final four here. <laughs> so oh we have gosh. a lot of things coming.
1: So the last question for you is, what, what's your biggest worry as you're looking ahead, and what's the thing that makes you the most optimistic?
0: The thing that worries me the most is the inability to get back to work, men and women from basically every neighborhood, every street in this city. I think I think the human impact of that is the thing that worries me. And I know from a lot of our... Companies that are members of, of, of ours, as I talk to their owners, that actually gnaws and worries at them more than anything. And so we've got to figure a way to keep our people, our musicians, our workforce whole. That, that to me, is the biggest. The second biggest worry is keeping our – I know the hotels are going to have some sorting out, but I really worry about our restaurants. And I worry about, about – our music and event venues. So on the positive side, I have to say the thing that I take great solace and pride in is, you know, having lived through so many hurricanes and so many rebuilds here from 9-11 to Katrina, I, I, I honestly think that there's not a more resilient place in America and, and I, I believe that we're going to figure a way if we can use our best minds, if we can work collaboratively together, if we can reduce tensions between different sectors, and we can all come together, we can get through this. It's going to be hard, but, but with the help of a vaccine next year, we're going to be able to rebuild, but it's going to require the partnership of government to provide the kind of funding that, frankly, no one else can provide to small business, to workers. Um, And then once we've done that with this vaccine, I have no doubt but that the organic greatness of New Orleans from a cultural perspective is going to have this industry that we rely so much on grow and prosper for a long time to come. But I think it's going to be different for a few years, Rich. And, um, but I'm still optimistic that we're going to figure – I wish I could play a trumpet right now because I, I feel like we're going to get through this and we're going to make it work.
1: Well, I appreciate all
0: the time you spent with me. Thanks so much for chatting. Well, thanks so much, Rich. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com/biztalks.